0: Good to see you, Mr Bond. Things have been awfully dull round here. Bureaucrats running the old place, everything done by the book. Can't make a decision unless the computer gives you the go-ahead. Now you're on this. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so too.
1: I love Movies, which is lucky because each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love, and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk, and as always and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Am Why Not Facebook group, or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Rob O'Connor as we kick off the festive season with a bond, because what's Christmas without a bond, and discuss 1983's unofficial bond, Never Say Never Again. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. Sean Connery is James Bond. Agent 007, never say never again. My is Bond.
0: Oh, you're Mr. Bond. I believe I'm having you in half an hour.
1: Oh, splendid. Your room or mine. Have you, Mr. Bond? You're marvelously well equipped.
0: Thank you, James.
1: So are you. Good to see you, Mr. Bond. Things have been awfully dull around here. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too.
0: Bond, the game is over.
1: Sean Connery is Ian Fleming's James Bond in Never Say Never Again. Hello, Rob. How are you? Blended. Marvellous.
0: Uh, I notice you're all wet. Oh, but my martini are still dry. My, my connery will get better as I'm a little bit hoarse today. So that's probably why it's not quite there yet. But it will get gradually better as we kind of ease into it, you know.
1: That's right. I threw my back out last week. So I've been doing Pierce Brosnan pain face a lot.
0: Oh, well, I mean, we, we can just get you down to the clinic for a refreshing parsley tea and a, and a herbal enema. and that, oh, Yeah. <laughs> spruce Sounds you right up.
1: I wonder if that's the enema the Joker was on about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um, yeah so in case anybody can't guess or didn't see the little icon for the episode we're going to be talking about never seen ever again so a little bit of information about the film uh, directed by Cop 2's Irvin Kirshner written by Lorenzo Semple Jr with uncredited punch up work by Dick Clements and Ian Lafranius Lafreni- mm. I'll edit whichever one sounds better of those Uh, From an original story by Kevin McClury, Jack Whittenham and Ian Fleming. Uh, No mention of it being based on the novel Thunderball by Ian Fleming in the credits. But I mean, we all know, I'm guessing that was part of the whole legal thing. But we'll get into that. Oh Uh, boy. Starring Sean Connery, Klaus Maria Brando, uh, Max von Sydow, Barbara Carrera, Kim Basinger, Bernie Casey, Alec McGowan and Edward Fox. And with Rowan Atkinson, for better or worse. Uh, released in cinemas on the 7th of October 1983 in the US and on the 15th of December 1983 in the UK. Grossed 160 million worldwide on an estimated budget of 36 million, according to the numbers.com. Uh, for comparison, Octopussy won the Battle of the Bonds by grossing 187 million worldwide on an estimated budget of 27.5 million. Roger Rebert gave the film three stars out of four, saying it's another one of those bonds plots in which the basic ingredients are thrown together more or less in a fancy. We visit exotic locations, we survive near-misses and Bond spars with evil women and redeems the good one. All basic. What makes Never Say Never Again more fun than most of the Bonds is more complex than that. But one thing, there's more of a human element in the movie. It comes from Klaus Maria Brando as Largo. Brando is a wonderful actor and he chooses not to play a villain as a cliché. Instead, he brings a certain poignancy and charm to Largo. And since Connery always has been a particularly human Bond, the emotional stakes are more convincing this time. And I found a Barry Norman review. Um, I'm going to put the oh, clip in boy. for it. Um, there is an unfortunate bit of wordplay when he's mentioned yes, Felix Leiter, actor Bernie Casey. But I'm going to leave it in. But some listeners may, might find it offensive. Um, So just to give you a heads up on that. But on the film 83 Never Say Never Again special, Barry Norman was mostly positive about the film saying... Well it's the good old familiar story. The dreaded spectre, represented by Max von Sydow and more particularly by that marvellous German actor Klaus Maria Brandauer has stolen two cruise missiles from England and that ought to please the Greenham Common Ladies and is holding the world to ransom. Bond naturally comes to the rescue, first having to overcome all the wiles of the exotic and erotic Barbara Carrera, a really tasty villainess, before aided and abetted by his adoring helpmeet Kim Basinger, he saves us all in the nick of time. Well what else did you expect? There are one or two innovations. For example, Felix Leiter, Bond's ubiquitous mucker from the CIA, is now played by a black actor, Bernie Casey, and should perhaps be renamed Felix Darker. But mostly it's all down to Sean Connery, and it's as if he'd never been away, a triumphant return, in fact, in a thoroughly enjoyable romp of a thriller. So, yeah, two positive reviews from the time by two well-regarded film critics. Um, Before we get into the film itself, what are your memories of first seeing it?
0: Memories of first seeing it. I have a very funny and very worrying feeling that this may actually be the first James Bond film I ever saw. Because when I was maybe three or four, I remember sitting in most of an ITV and my dad being very excited about it being on. And he's like, oh, it's James Bond. And I, I remember thinking it was called James Bond, the movie. And I remember wondering, I the way I'd always heard my dad describe James Bond did not match this old, leathery-faced, gray-haired old man that was on the screen. And I, I the, the only thing I remember about it at the time was him in the casino wearing the tuxedo. And then I think I remember the bit where he's on the kind of Thunderbirds-esque jet cylinder <laughs> device that, that isn't the jetpack from Thunderball. Um, those are the only two things I remember about watching it for the first time. I remember being upstairs in our first family house in Meadow Grove, the estate was called, and um, yeah, James Bond, the movie, I remember thinking it was called. I don't remember, it didn't have a lasting impact on me, but that was that came later. I remember watching Free Your Eyes Only and thinking that was great, and I remember watching GoldenEye. We rented GoldenEye when we were kids, and that was probably kicked the whole thing off, and then the James Bond season would be on, and we'd watch all of them. Anyway, we, we talked about all this before, but I, I do have a sneaking suspicion that Never Say Never Again was technically the first Bond movie I ever saw.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was my first. I remember, I can't remember whether we rented it from the video shop, or whether it was on ITB. Um, But I saw it young, so young that I had to have it explained to me what the gag was with his urine sample when he throws it in mm-hmm. Pat Roach's face. Because I didn't Granny's understand PhD. what was going on there at all. <laughs> oh, there's a reference to a classic movie. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I can't remember which. I weirdly a couple of years ago, I found some videotapes that I taped off, and I had the uh, film nineteen ninety one review of the year. Okay, I think it was ninety one. It might have been ninety two. But then after that, they were trailing their big either Boxing Day or New Year's Day movie was Never Say Never Again, which it had been on ITV before that. So I'm guessing it was the premiere for it on BBC. Yeah, and it's, it's weird to think that the of a time when that was the big get the Christmas holiday season
0: and that's interesting as well because it must have been a rare exception where a James Bond quote unquote movie appeared on BBC in those yeah. days because um, ITV have had like exclusive rights forever haven't they
1: yeah with the Eon ones I don't know if BBC got to show the unofficial ones I guess that was a bit more up for grabs depending on whether they had a deal with Warner Brothers or whatever And but yeah I'm sure ITV showed it first but it's yeah, it's it's a movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> According to the 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 uh, the Blu-ray special features, which are incre- Well, they're not incredible, but they're quite good, and it, the Blu-ray is worth getting if you can track it down, if only for the special features, because there's a there's a there's two or three featurettes on there, and uh, one of the uncredited writers, whose name escapes me, did the the, the uh, uh, Englishman. Yeah, he made this Francis
1: quote- Lafrenes, wasn't
0: it? John, John Lafrenes, no, no, the he, other the No, other it's guy. Dick Clements, isn't it? Dick on Clements, that one? Yeah. yeah. Dick Clements, he made this remark where he was like, well, you know, Sean, we have this uh, scene where Bond uh, beds a woman, and then he swims to the bottom of the ocean, fights a shark, and then rises to the surface and beds another woman. Uh, this, you know, this doesn't really feel like... real life. Sorry, I'm messing the quote up. He says something like, it, it doesn't really feel like something that would actually happen, and then Sean Connery responded... Yeah, it feels like a movie. So yeah. I didn't tell that story very well, but I did think that was a fun fun little quote on the, uh, on the Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, I must admit, the big thing for me upgrading from DVD to the Blu-ray was for the bonus features. Yes. Um, I like the stuff that they... Initially, they could only use the dialogue that was in the book. And I think it was Lorenzo Semple Jr. was like, you can't write a script like that. Yeah, they weren't allowed to use anything that had been in the Eon film. No. Hence why they've got those weird jetpack or not not jetpacks, but things that come out of the missiles.
0: Jet cylinders that you can only read. You can only use dialogue from the book thing. It feels like Kobe Broccoli just making shit up about what they could and couldn't do. Whereas like, you know, any adaptation of a book does not have that caveat. Like you're allowed to make stuff up for the movie. But I'm ge- I, I guess it's just the precarious situation they were in where they had the rights to Thunderball and they did not have the rights to anything else. And Kobe Brockley could make the claim that any original idea they have is derived from his films, which is interesting in a way, because like that's the situation we're going to find ourselves in when James Bond goes public domain, yeah. because the books will be. You know, in theory, someone could write their own book, but at any stage, Eon could come along and say, well, no, you took that idea from our films. Don't write that But Or or if someone decides to, you know, if if the film writes, I, I don't understand, but, but basically what I'm saying is no one's going to be able to actually create new original James Bond stuff because the rights holders are always going to be able to say, well, no, because you you know, you took that strange idea from an episode of James Bond jr. That aired in 1989 or whatever. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, that's going to be, there's it. so
0: much James Bond stuff that in theory, someone could steal an idea from, you know, anything and, and extrapolate an entire new creation out of it. So nobody ever will. It's, it's really sad. It's, it's just, it's the wonders and the terrors of copyright law. And that's what, that's why despite this film not being good, I know it's not good. It's not a film I enjoy watching. And yet it's a film I watch all the time because I'm just fascinated with the particulars of how it was made. And every time I watch it, I'm just more and more like entranced by the strangeness of how it exists. Like what a weird thing to exist. Never say never again.
1: It's one of those films that the story behind it is more interesting than the film itself. I think I think the film itself is just, you know, the end to uh, or, you know the end to a particular story even though the story didn't necessarily end there as we'll get into a bit later um i always said that i'd really one of the things i always wanted to do i used to have a friend who wrote plays and i was like we should write a play That's a fictionalized version of ian fleming jack whittingham and kevin mcclory sitting around coming up with thunderball yeah not they they were working on thunderball it was called something else wasn't it
0: Latitude seventy eight West. What a catchy name for a movie, Ian Fleming. What the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> it makes so much sense, though, that like this guy Kevin McClory had to come along and be the cool friend to like introduce Ian Fleming to the idea that like no James Bond needs to be cool. You know, you're not cool, Ian Fleming. You know, hang out with me for a while. We'll make James Bond cool. Because I just like this
1: idea that Jack Williams, because he rarely see any real input from him. I go into it a bit in that Battle of the Bonds book, which yeah is well worth getting if you're interested. Oh, yeah. Um but I, he always strikes just kind of like yeah whatever I don't give a fuck.
0: Yeah. His his daughter Sylvan Whittingham is is really uh interesting and outspoken about Jack Whittingham's um involvement in this whole thing. It's it's well worth it she she was on an episode of James Bond Radio, which is a great podcast. They interviewed her and she had great input and she has all these like original kind of um uh storyboards and concept art and stuff from when they were trying to make that original original film and all this beautiful kind of artwork they made of underwater fight scenes and all this kind of stuff. Uh yeah, she definitely check those out. She's really, really yeah. cool. And and it, you know it it does always I think the story is presented to us as oh well it was Kevin McClory and Ian Fleming but it was actually like a bunch of guys. It was like Ivor Bryce and Jack Whittingham and Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory and they were all kind of coming and going with different ideas. And it was just a mess. And you yeah. know, how did Ian Fleming ever think, oh, well, I'll just take this mess of ideas and turn it into a book and just say that I wrote it.
1: That <laughs> like, was such a stupid idea. What a stupid yeah. idea. He
0: just unraveled this just maelstrom of chaos that ensued for half a century afterwards.
1: Because as much as people like to vilify Kevin McClory, and I'm not a massive fan of Kevin McClory, he no. seems a bit like a chancer. He was just kind of like clinging on to this one little yeah. fame adjacent that he had. Um but you know he was also perfectly within his right to do whether he should have done it or not is a different story, but
0: see, see you know the, the, the this is where we're gonna we're gonna part ways on this argument see the, the the issue with Kevin McClory as I see it, is that if he was only trying to make the film never say never again as we as we know it to be now, that's one thing. But that's not the case. No, he was yeah. trying to make this insane movie called James Bond and the Secret Service, where James Bond was going to be fighting literally large robot sharks that were swimming in the sewers under New York City, and they were going to they, they were going to detonate the they were going to carry the nuclear bomb under the Statue of Liberty or something like that, and it was all this crazy stuff of, it, vaguely related to Thunderball. I think the only. Real connection is that Blofeld was in it and Blofeld was kind of like this eco terrorist or something. It was very, very different to what Thunderball was. And I think that's what a lot of the litigation was about. It was like, no, you're not making that. You can make Thunderball again and that's it.
1: Well, yeah, because that was going to be his plan. Obviously, we'll come into it later, but his plan going yeah. forward was just to keep remaking Thunderball. Oh, my goodness. As a franchise. Could you imagine? <laughs> I
0: mean, like I say, I. Yeah, I... Lagos back again. What I take issue do, with Domino? the fact
1: that he, he got to do it with Never Say Never Again, but then he kept popping his fucking head up every so yeah. often and causing all manner of shit for
0: him. I meanwhile, he had the rights to Nigel Smallfaucet right there. All he had to do was make a Nigel Smallfosset movie. And then well, and remember, then he's, he's got the Johnny English trilogy to his own, you know.
1: I remember reading somewhere, but... I don't know whether it's a Mandela effect because I cannot find anything that backs it up where they were talking about the genesis of Johnny English in those Bartley card adverts was Nigel Small
0: Fawcett. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But I can't find anything And yet so believable. Up,
1: but I know I read it somewhere. But I don't know whether it's just i Mandela affected it. Into that my is crazy. Into my brain, like me remembering Dick Tracy lifting the cheats off the dead bodies at the beginning of Dick Tracy I know I've seen that scene but I can't find any proof of that <laughs>
0: Um,
1: but yeah I mean it makes sense that you'd go from oh you did that thing in that James Bond film let's do it in a Barclay card Have it but make him a bit more Blackadder suave spy kind of thing And
0: we're jumping and jiving all over the place here where do you stand on the Johnny English films?
1: Uh, I've only seen the first one in full okay they're not my tempo to
0: now let me in let me offer this to you right johnny english one was the only johnny english film i had seen for a very 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 long time during the COVID 19 pandemic we watched the second film which i believe is johnny english reborn, reborn or johnny yeah. English strikes again one of them anyway the second one is pretty good like i i was like this is like this is like a solid Roger Moore Bond movie. Like it's a little bit more serious than Johnny English, but that's the one with he, Daniel
1: Kaluuya in it.
0: I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think Daniel Kaluuya is in there. And I was like, this is like surprisingly watchable. Like not not necessarily good, but I, I've seen bits. I am of enjoying one. this. And then the third one, I remember being bad, but like there was there was definitely one of those two sequels where I was like, this is pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I went to the cinema to watch the first Johnny English. And yeah, it was all right. It had some, it was one of those things that had some nice moments in it, but for the most part, I was like, this is just fucking stupid.
0: <laughs> there, there was two jokes in Johnny English 1 that are, I think, genuinely box office A-plus dad jokes. There, there was the the first one where he walks up to the car and he goes, now don't worry, Senator, you're about to enter the most secure facility in the in the British Isles or something and like that. And then, just... him. <laughs> and then you just hear, ah... <laughs> that was great. And then the other really, really funny joke in Johnny English was he breaks into the wrong building and he's talking to this like old man in, in a hospital bed. And he's like, what have they done to you? And he's like, oh, well, they did a couple of tests. <laughs> he's like, those bastards. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Everything else I can take or leave. But, you know, Rowan Atkinson is, you know, he, he he's very, very good at what he does.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not disputing that. Like I say, it's just not quite my comedy tempo
0: completely Um, understandable
1: but yeah so speaking of things that are not quite my temper this film right the title song is awful the score is awful so you know something's bad when a completist like me won't even buy the cd to have in the collection
0: and and another thing i really appreciate about the blu-ray is they they talk Specifically about how the use of the title song in that opening action scene is probably one of the worst post-production decisions ever made. It's so out of place. There's this badass action scene, the return of Sean Connery. He's kind of invading this rebel stronghold because you know that that's what Bond does. He he does kind of questionable, you know, kind of conservative party uh, wish fulfillment kind of things. Or you know, he's he's taking down this this sort of rebel outfit in somewhere in south america i guess and you know you 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 expect to hear this kind of thrilling kind of john barry drone and kind of music and there's these beautiful well not quite beautiful but really really nice shots of like they they close right in on sean connery's eyes and he's got those big expressive brown eyes he looks like a badass and then all you hear is never never say never again yeah and it's it's like you're in the lobby of a of fucking Singapore hotelers and it's really strange. Oh,
1: it sounds weirdly out of tune in places as well like an X Factor yeah. contestant
0: in an audition um,
1: there was an edit I don't know if it's still on YouTube where they would taken yes. certain segments and edit it in like it was an Eon film
0: I have seen some of that and I think the issue I had with the one I watched was they were taking music from like the Brosnan movies and like David Arnold and all that which sounds too modern you know, I you think, need to
1: take some 80s stuff and...
0: yeah, you, you need like John Barry from Man with the Golden Gun type yeah thing. Or or you know, or or even like one of the other you could use the um what what do we call him there? Bill Conti score from Fear Eyes Only. That yeah. that'd kind of work well in this movie, I think, you know. But yeah, this cause... score is just un... there's nothing here that... it, the, the score when it's on,
1: bad. it's like a really shit sixties TV show. But it really should,
0: I, like, like a TJ Hooker TV movie where he goes on holidays to Jamaica or something like that. But, it's and there's just, weird
1: bits where there's no music,
0: like the casino scene. Yeah. There
1: should be some either ambient music or
0: score, because it's weirdly like they were shooting yeah. it on the sly. I, I, I remember, and, and we're jumping around here, the, the, the motorbike chase, which is good. It is a good motorbike chase. And I'm thinking if the James Bond music, the James Bond theme was blaring here, we'd be having a great time. But instead, there's no music. And then halfway through, they kind of play this da, 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 like just rubbish lobby lounge singer French nonsense that doesn't sound like anything. But like if if the James Bond theme was blaring the, the Roger Moore remix as I like to call it, the kind of late 70s John Barry version of the James Bond theme would go down like a house on that would be amazing to hear right there. But they well, that's why I don't like get that.
1: why they didn't try and obviously use the Bond theme. But yeah, create your own never say never again Bond theme, obviously you can't call yeah. it the Bond theme, but you know, enter It J. was it wasn't
0: in the original novel, Stuart. That's, the, That's problem. the
1: problem. That's the yeah. Apparently shit ambient music was in the original novel.
0: <laughs> you can't use it because it wasn't in the original novel. That's not what Ian Fleming intended. That's my Kobe Broccoli impression. And it kind of just sounds like Brando in The Godfather, but like I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you... I'll keep workshopping it.
1: When when I reviewed this on Letterboxd, this was very much the mum, can we get Thunderball? No, we've got Thunderball at home. Thunderball, we have at home.
0: I can confirm for a fact. I definitely saw this before I saw Thunderball. And See, I definitely saw it like years later when I was really, really into James Bond. I was trying to go back and watch them all. And this was still in the VHS days where if you couldn't find it in the local video shop, that was that was the end of this. That, you know, that that was it. And the, what we had in the local video shop was Never Say Never Again. They didn't have Thunderball. So it was years before I saw Thunderball. And I had um that lovely book by uh, Lee Pfeiffer and Dave World, The Essential 007, and, uh, in in which they did, like described Thunderball at length. And it sounded like this amazing movie. I couldn't wait to watch it. But all they had in the local shop was Never Say Never Again. Yeah, so, I, I can't
1: remember which Bond film I saw first. But as a child, I didn't know that this wasn't an official Bond film. It just didn't have the bits in it. But that was nothing strange for to me as a child. I just assumed it was a proper Bond film, just weirdly off. Um, but yeah, it's... it's yeah. I... Edward Fox is in this film, and he's terrible.
0: He's really, it's really like bad. It's like he's doing a
1: weird Hugh Grant character.
0: Really bad. And I, I, do you know what it is? I think is there was a lot of Americans involved in this and they, you know, it feels like they kind of had an idea of what Britishness is and what English people are supposed to be like. And they were like, oh, do that. You know, that kind of way. Whereas no other James Bond movie has that. There's always either British people directing, writing. There's a real presence of English and British directors and uh, filmmakers, you know, present in every James Bond movie, even even no time to die which was directed by an American for the first time you know but this definitely feels like and even in the blu-ray they kind of talk about how they had this idea of what Britishness was and what they wanted to convey with you know what they understand Britishness to be and you're like no <laughs> that's not the right way to do it guys you know um it's- because Edward I'm... Fox is a good actor. I've seen him in other things. He's a he's great good. actor. That, what, is it? Day of the Jackal or it? Day the... of the Jackal? Yeah, and I'm that's pretty sure he's in. Is he the
1: one. Is he the fox that's in Fourth Protocol as well? With possibly Michael Caine and Pierce Brosnan.
0: He's a great actor, and he's dreadful in this. <laughs> he's really awful.
1: bad. Absolutely awful. The, the guy playing even, t- when he's on, even when he's only his voice. Yeah, he's just but... awful.
0: <laughs> he, he reminds me of John Cleese in the in the Pier, you, see, you're not a big gamer but like in the Pierce Brosnan games so obviously GoldenEye didn't have any voice acting in it and, and Tomorrow Never Dies was cute or whatever every subsequent Pierce Brosnan game the world is not enough everything or nothing uh, da, 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 what? Was, there, there's definitely another one. Anyway, John Cleese in a bunch of James Bond games from the early 2000s, and he was always like screaming into the mic.
1: Bonds, don't forget to deactivate the shield generators.
0: And that's what Edward Fox reminded me of. Loving this.
1: Everything in this Do film. Come along, Bond. Everything in this film feels cheap. Like yeah, the Spectre meeting feels like an am- small village Andram. Am- society getting together to talk about next year's play but they all think they're bigger actors than they actually are got Blofeld sat on an armchair on stage stroking his cat it's
0: Blofeld like considering and I I think again we have to come back to the the whole oh well they're only allowed to use what's in the novel side of things Blofeld is such a kind of non-entity in this film and that was like their big trump card that they had was like, oh, we've got Blofeld. We've got the rights. Kevin McClory, it's his baby. He owns it. You guys can't use it. Here's Blofeld. And it's kind of nothing. It's Max von Sydow. Great casting, you know, daring to maybe maybe they weren't allowed to do a bald Blofeld because that was an invention of the film. So they can't just copy that. Well, yeah, I
1: but- don't think Blofeld's bold in the book, is he?
0: No, he's definitely not. No, he has like, like he's described differently in in each book. His appearance changes drastically, and he's so kind of...
1: yeah. They couldn't use the bold and the scar,
0: but because but... nobody's
1: sure where the cat comes from. The cat the is cat's from not the, the book. Bu- the cat's not in the book,
0: so no. maybe I don't know. Was that a Kevin McClory thing or a Jack? You know, whatever. But like, I'm pretty sure the cat was from the Eon films. So I don't know how they got away with that. But
1: well, yeah, because you only live twice. With no, he had the cat from from Russia with Love onwards didn't
0: he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. So it's just... not really sure.
1: Yeah, it's such a weird thing. You get that really cool bit, well, cool bit, where she goes into the bank, opens the safety deposit boxes, it takes her in, you get that nice corridor walk, and stand then turn in to face the camera, and the pole gate thing opens, mm. then she walks through, and it's a fucking town hall.
0: <laughs> it's real, kind of like, th- this is very, and this only really struck me watching it today, this kind of is the Superman four of James Bond movies in that it's like they had all these great ideas and like really big ambitions for what they wanted to do. And then in the end result, it's kind of just all very cheap and clearly filmed in like, like local available locations.
1: But they spent money on They spent nearly they 10 did, million yeah, yeah. more than
0: they spent on Octopussy. And Sean Connery, by the way, you, you mentioned that the, the budget and the box office returns, he made like most of his fortune on this film specifically. Yeah. I kind of imagine
1: a good chunk of that 36 million was Connery.
0: So I, I, according to uh, the James Bond and friends podcast, another great James Bond podcast. um, So in addition to his upfront 3 million American dollars in 1983, which is a a lot of money and considerably more than he ever made in any of the Eon ones, Connery got 15% of the gross of never say never again and ended up making $28 million in 1983 money. That's like Robert Denny Jr. Iron Man money. Like, that is insane. That is so, so much money.
1: Then six years later, Jack Nicholson walked into the Joker role and went, hold my beer. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> hold my beer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It,
1: um, yeah I'd it, say, I mean, that know that was their like, Trump card, co- was that they had
0: Connery, wasn't
1: it? You mentioned. If you don't no, have Connery in this, this is just a meh.
0: No, it doesn't exist. It's nothing, and they say that in the Blu-ray as well. It's like if 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 they didn't have Connery, the film wouldn't have even been finished because people would have just gone, "It's not worth it." Like, you know, they they would have stopped throwing money at it. But because Connery was there, they were like, "No, we we, we got to get this out there. We got to finish this." But to your other point earlier on, you mentioned, "Oh well, Octopussy won the battle of the bonds." Sean Connery won the battle of the bonds because that I I I sincerely doubt Roger Moore made twenty eight million dollars. Well, no, octopussy
1: that was always the holdout with. Connery and Broccoli and Saltzman Anyway, wasn't it? it? Was that they wouldn't pay him what he was worth?
0: Yeah, they, they wouldn't make him a producer, so he wouldn't make the producer. You know, the guild, whatever it is. The yeah. So he yeah he he wasn't getting paid what he felt he was worth. But, but I I doubt Roger. Moore, I'd say Roger Moore was was better paid. But I I doubt. He I think was...
1: by this point, Roger Moore was getting more because he wasn't going to come back. Because this yeah. is when they were like um, James Brolin auditioning and that. Um. Do you well, take I think, English? I think pounds? most most people that fall out with uh fell out with a uh, cubby broccoli was was over money.
0: Which is perfectly fine and perfectly reasonable. But I I I sincerely doubt Roger Moore made $28 million. No, on, not, on to, any... not a chance. I can't imagine no all way. his Bond films combined would come up to uh, $28 million. Insane. It's... But I mean laughing all the way to the bank. Fair play, Sean Connery.
1: Yeah, well, I mean Sean Connery, I think, was always in it for the money.
0: There was a, there was that lovely quote, I think it's on the Live and Let Die DVD, where he's like, uh, there's only two things I've ever wanted in this world. My own bank and my own golf course. I already won one, and I'm well on my way to owning the other. And that's <laughs> why he didn't come back for Live and Let Die. So, you know, makes sense.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, he only did diamonds for the money, which he allegedly gave away to a charity, but there's some questionable back end there... on that as well.
0: I've heard that as well. It's like he gave the, the gross or something. He didn't he didn't give like his fee or, or maybe he gave his fee, but not the gross. Or, it was one of those things. It was like yeah, the, he definitely made a he chunk was of cash involved
1: with the charity he gave it to. So he got a chunk of it through it was. the back yeah. channels, um, yeah. allegedly. Um, yeah. And he got his three picture deal with United Artists. Which was the big thing for him coming back for that. And with this one, I think he just came back partly as a up Yours to Cubby Broccoli. And 100%. Part, partly the pay, well, I imagine bigger would be the paycheck, because he I don't really feel like he's putting any real effort into this film.
0: Although, you know, you hear about the how they made the script, and, you know, that there was all this over and back, and it's like, oh, well, this isn't the movie I signed up for. And, like, you know, he seems like he was very involved in that side of it, so I feel like he definitely did care about what the end product was going to be. And he wanted it to be something that would be successful, so I think he was definitely invested in that sense. And there's all these like pictures of him, you know, scouting locations in Battle of the Bonds. There's there's all these photos of him at the Statue of Liberty when they were still talking about doing that nonsense, like and you scouting locations and all this kind of stuff. And he seems like he was definitely very involved. And I think he was involved in casting as well. I think he was. I think
1: he was very involved in the production. I think he cared about the production because you've got to be because you know it's going to be sold on Sean Connery's back. You can't go into something knowing that you're going to be the big linchpin for holding it together kind of thing, and then not give a shit. There's just certain times in his performance where he just kind of feels yeah. like I'm here today for the money.
0: <laughs> like, I recognize yeah.
1: that I'm in a turd.
0: I He's definitely more invested in this, I think, than he is in either Diamonds Are Forever or You oh, Only, you live, Only twice. live Twice. yeah. But oh, I, yeah, I, would, I would agree that, that I, I, I think across the board, he made a realization by the time, maybe by the time of Thunderball, where he was like, Oh well, I'm the money. I'm the reason people are showing up. And he just knew that all he had to be was in the room, you know, and, and he was James Bond. And yeah. I think he probably knew that going into this.
1: Well, yeah, if they'd have paid him what he was worth then, he God knows how many Bond films he would have done. But they didn't even have to increase his money by a huge amount. But just Broccoli and Saltzman were tight. Um, but yeah, I mean, and he's definitely got a passion for it. You can see in that mm. film eighty-three. Never seen Ever Again special, which I will put in the bonus features on the website when I put it up, as long as it's still on YouTube. The Barry Norman film stuff seems to be disappearing one by one. Really? That's on a YouTube. Shame. Um, but yeah, I will put it on there for as long as as long as it's on there. But it's well worth watching. And Connery, you know, was invested in it and cared about it and actually spoke more promisingly about it than he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or anything like that. <laughs> Um, I think again. I think he knew it was it hadn't worked out the way he possibly was hoping to. It's like, I didn't realize, like two years later, that Talia Shire was involved. That the Schwartzman yeah. was that Schwartzman.
0: Absolutely, yeah. She and she's credited as a consultant to the, to producer, the producer, yeah. Which just means that they obviously paid her something. But which Talia was Shire was in, as well. So. The, the whole the whole family tree of this film is insane because, like. Talia Shire and Jack Schwartzman, their children are John Schwartzman, who talks on the Blu-ray. And John Schwartzman worked as a producer on The Rock. But John Schwartzman's brother is uh, Jason Schwartzman, who is a, a famous actor now, and he's in a bunch of movies. He's he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, And uh, he was also in Phantom Planet, who sang the theme tune to The O.C., and then you have to remember as well that Talia Shire is related to Nicolas Cage, who is in the rock with Sean Connery. Why six are related to the Coppolas, aren't they? So like never say never again is like the center of the universe in so many ways. There's like seven degrees to never say never again or six degrees you can see how they got separation. <laughs> it's insane. And every time I see Jason Schwartzman now, I'm like, oh, you you you're the, the house that never say never again built. <laughs>
1: um I'm I'm aware that you know, I'm possibly being more negative. There are things in this film I like.
0: There's a lot of things in this film I like.
1: Um I like uh Klaus Maria uh Brandau is superb. I would I would have happily watched a film of him and um Barbara Carrera. Just those two together. They were great. He is superb. You can see why they were chasing him for the Sean Connery role in Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Before you know, you get Connery, and you kind of like, sorry, Klaus off you go. <laughs> He
0: he's absolutely excellent. And I was watching it today. I was realizing, do you know what? Like, he, he's one of the things that really holds this film is Klaus Maria Brandauer, even arguably on a par with what Sean Connery's doing in terms of just being iconic and being captivating and watchable. Like, he's so so good. And you have to remember as well, the eighties. I I've kind of I think I said this on the other Bond episode we did. The 80s was not the best decade in terms of James Bond villains, I don't think. Yeah. No, like, I agree you had no. for your eyes only I Julian Glover, a perfectly fine actor, not very memorable. Who else do we have? Uh, Octopussy, Stephen Burkhoff's in there, I guess. Then there's all these other guys I don't even care about. Max yeah, got Iron. Walken's Fair probably enough. the
1: one that stands out the most. And Robert DeVee.
0: W- w- Walken and Robert Davi are the two I think are great. Everyone yeah. else is really, really forgettable. So Claire's Maria like like, Wow.
1: Villains are just instantly forgettable.
0: Koskoff is like a TV movie villain. God yeah. love him. God love him. And Brad Whitaker is terrible in that. Like, there's no need for that extra bit at the end of that film. So, like, Robert Davi and Max Aaron are the only two real badasses in the 80s. And then Klaus Maria Brandauer, like, he's really, really good in this. And he's better than he doesn't the movie deserves.
1: Villain. He seems like a guy who works in an accounts department in a big, or well, you know, computer programming thing.
0: When you first like, see him
1: on screen, you're like, who's this dweeb? I could kick his neck.
0: And, like, oddly, the most terrifying scene in the film for me with with him is when he walks in at the very start and he's just like saying hello to everyone. Saying good like, morning. Hello yeah. Charles. Good morning Charles. Oh morning reports. And it's just like it's oh this is this guy's job and he just treats it like this normal thing that he's going to kill all these people. Like it's, it's like, like Thomas like,
1: Crane in the Pierce Brosnan version walking through his office at the beginning.
0: And, and then when he's talking to Kim Basinger, like a scene later, and you can tell she's obviously got some kind of like Stockholm syndrome. She's got like, oh, Max, you know, I miss you. I I just want you. I don't want any more gifts. And then he gives her the fucking uh, the 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 uh, Rosetta Stone that ends up being the, important to the plot later on. And she's like, oh, well, what if I leave you, Max? What will you do then? And he goes, I've cut your throat. Like, that's great.
1: He's really, really good. It's the way he says it, though, because there's that pause because he's leaving the room and she's like, no, seriously, if I had ever left you, what would you do? He's like. I'd cut your throat. And uh, he just and it... sort of gives a weird little grin. It's not a grin, yeah. but and then just walks off. And she's just kind of, hmm. but then she also it's... has that thing later on where she's clearly been touched up by a strange man in a fucking oh, health spot, look. And then she goes, Uh, I've been violated. Though he was Sean Connery.
0: there's a there's a lot of weird, creepy kind of sleaziness in this that I, I wanna I wanna get to, but the, going back to Brandauer though I just think he's hes just a real kind of he's just doing a lot of interesting extra yeah. little moments that weren't in the script and were just him and like he, he'll kind of have these little moments where he just like shushes himself before he says something and
1: That belonged to Napoleon's empress
0: That is my greatest treasure Take it
1: Take it But be careful. That is your wedding present.
0: You betrayed me. But I forgive you.
1: What about my brother?
0: Your brother. I hate you. I hate
1: you. Oh, I don't you no. You're
0: crazy.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe. I'm crazy. Oh.
0: He's really, really good, and you have to remember as well. The guy who played Largo in Thunderball was so kind of just stock, Eon, uh, you know, company man. Like, what was his name again? It was um,
1: oh, I can't remember his name.
0: God, and and he he was he was he was actually dubbed by that other actor who yeah. dubbed a bunch of people, including not Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. Um, Robert something or other, I can't remember. But yeah, the guy who played Largo is like very kind of just serviceable, mechanical. He had a great look about him, looked imposing, looked cool. He had the eye patch and all that stuff. But like acting wise, it was very s- by the numbers, you know, whereas Klaus-Marie Randauer is, you know, captivating in every single scene he's in. Oh, completely, you know? a
1: completely 180 to what you had in, you know, complete swing away from what you had in Thunderball.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and he, he's like he, so
1: much better for it, I think.
0: And he's a contemporary villain like he feels of the 80s he feels like a yuppie like a kind of uh, really like a go-getter ambitious kind of uh, megalomaniac as opposed to the guy in the other film who's just sort of a blowhard he just looks like a bulldog came to life
1: he's like a quiet Lex Luthor
0: yeah yeah
1: you know not like you know what I mean
0: um and to yeah. your other point, sorry, uh, Fatima Blush, uh, Barbara Carrera is also great. Like, I'd watch her in in, a, in an actual, in a normal James Bond movie. She And and there's that rumour that she was asked to be an Octopussy, and she said no, I want to be in a movie with the real James Bond. I don't know if yeah. that's true. Yeah, like,
1: again, I don't know if that's really the book of a lot. It's surprising how many actors that were in the official Bond films yeah. pop up in here. Absolutely. From, um, uh, Man in Redwood, from A View to a Kill. So that was quite soon after they cast him in that. Uh, I, I don't know, he slipped through uh, Eon's net. i you've got say... the guy that Zeni on the top kills with her sex legs. Is he in this? Yeah, he's the Navy guy before they go off in their little cylinder jetpack things. He's the guy with Bond asks about the thing and he says, do you know about that, that's top secret.
0: Oh yeah, that, 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 that's another line that's actually really cool. I think it's like, well, I, I read it in a Translated Russian manual or something like that. I was like, Sorry about that. <laughs> um
1: we we alluded to it at the beginning, the I made you all that yes, but my martini's still dry is a great exchange. It's classic mm. Connery bond. I love the thing with the cigarette holder mm. with the bouncer doorman in the thing. And the payoff to it is what works for it. Just the way Connery comes in, grabs it, goes, Thank you.
0: <laughs> it's really conspicuous that he doesn't smoke in this film at all. And like yeah. that, that was that was one of the iconic things that Connery did as Bond was he'd be smoking the whole time, and like he looked so badass every time he was smoking. Yeah, he doesn't smoke in this 80s film at they all, and then
1: more aware and, of it, wasn't it?
0: Well, yeah, but like Timothy Dalton smoked like a trooper in those movies, so <laughs> yeah, to like, the point
1: I'm, where License to Kill has a thing at the end
0: from the American Tobacco. <laughs> yeah, like people people smoked in movies in the eighties. I I I know people were worried about lung cancer and stuff, but I don't think.
1: Yeah, no, it wasn't like the that 90s they were, where they didn't the 90s, have Brosnan yeah. smoking at all, apart from of the Day, where he's got that big Cuban cigar.
0: And like, you know, even when, when even in that uh, cigar holder scene thing where he holds it up to guys, this is a, a gyroscope. And if you if you hold it the wrong way, it'll explode. And then he just takes it off him or whatever. Um what you know, you, you'd expect him to take a cigarette out there and just light it up and look like a badass. But he takes it a cigar and just sort of holds it in his mouth. It's like that. That's a Roger Moore maneuver. Like, and a big part of this movie for me, it's supposed to be the return of Sean Connery, and it feels like you're watching a Roger Moore movie. Like yeah. the 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 scene in Shrublands where he's fighting the guy, um, Pat Roach is that his name. The, yeah. Some, yeah, And he's fighting him, and the, there's that scene where they're they're punching each other, and there's all oh, these people watching, watching a boxing match. match. They're watching a boxing match, isn't it? I
1: thought it was a football match. I, it could be either.
0: Well, you, you you're hearing like. You're, you're hearing boxing sounds and then
1: people will cheer as he gets
0: it. And it's like, that's clearly a Roger Moore joke. And then the the thing with the piss where he, th- he throws the urine sample into the guy's face and he's like, ah, and he looks at the bottle. He looks at the, the beaker or whatever, and it says urine sample, James Bond. Like that, that is a died in the wall Roger Moore joke. And it's, it's in this Sean Connery film. And I had this realization watching it today where I was like, the first half of this film is very creaky and very kind of. It, it it just underlines how old James Bond is, and I know they were trying to do something with that. It doesn't really yeah, go anywhere. In that
1: scene where they're fighting past the room full of people watching whatever the sport yeah. thing is, that is clearly not Sean Connery.
0: No, it's no. And but like there's so much it, it, it's just a very old kind of a dreary film for the first kind of. 30 minutes of it and then it feels like it just totally shifts gears and they're like oh shit what have we made we need to appeal to a younger audience here so they have like a, this motorbike chase uh, followed by the video game thing or or back uh, either video or the game thing first because it's the 80s so
1: you got have the video games and the casino and,
0: and like no I, the video game thing it's like how does this exist I it's so terrible, but I love it so much that it exists that, that not only that, not, not only the, the battle between Bond and Largo in the big video game room thing, like at least there, there's a bit of production design. There's a bit of thought put into that. Just James Bond in this casino with all these arcade machines. Oh, he's really like, creepy when he pops up from behind the machine
1: to call domino.
0: Is that a thing? Molested
1: her in the, uh...
0: <laughs> like I've, I've only, I was in Monte Carlo once when I was like 16 or whatever. Like, when you go into a fancy casino and you're like a wealthy person, you're wearing your tuxedo and you're about to, you know, go to the blackjack table and, and bet $10,000 or whatever, is there, you know, fucking Super Mario in the next room? <laughs> like, I'm assuming Mario Cars? it's
1: going to be to do with Lago and it being for a kid's charity. And Ah, oh, but... join me
0: for a game of time crisis after this, Lago. But
1: beyond that, yeah, it's going to be, it's the 80s. This is the cool. Like I say, that casino seems weird anyway because there's no music.
0: Come, come, Mr. Bond. I only have the finest pinball machines. Have you played Star Trek The Next Generation? (laughs) You know, like it's very odd. Uh, Completely, I'm so glad it exists and I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's part of the reason that I come back to this film so often is just that it's this weird, quintessentially 80s fake James Bond film. But what were they thinking with the arcade machines? I don't get it. What's
1: that? And then you get him telling Domino that her brother's dead whilst doing a tango in front of a room full of people who are watching them.
0: Badly as well, by the way. Badly. He Your can't dance. Dead. God love him. Like, he's hes just sort of, and they talk about this in the Blu-ray as well, they're like, Sean Connery was not a gifted dancer. And like, he, you can just see him like, plonking his feet on the ground like Robocop as he's doing the tango. It's, it's amazing. Your brother is dead. Keep dancing. Because Great idea for a James Bond scene on paper. But not. Yeah,
1: it just great. doesn't in the... Ex- but again, that's a lot with this. That it's just not there in the execution. It's like, why does Fatima kill Richie Cunningham's brother? Or Brad from Superman 3?
0: Brad from Superman 3, Stuart, come on. He's
1: always Richie Cunningham. That's what happened to Richard Cunningham's brother. He went up to his bedroom and went off on a lot of massive adventures. It's weird seeing him play with computers and Richard Pryor is nowhere to be seen.
0: He's speaking with an American accent as well. Did you notice that? Richie Cunningham yeah no uh, Gavin O'Hurley he, and and I know he he oh, does yeah. Brad and when, when he's Brad in Superman 3 he has an American accent as well but I know in real life he's an English actor and when he's doing Brad he kind of has that very affected kind of Kansas oh Lana hey Kent like you know it's it's a very big very broad voice he's doing in this it's a very kind of neutral American accent and it's it it sort of belies the fact that he's not American you can clearly hear. I assumed he was American, in. but
1: that makes sense. It's not, yeah. Given the amount of English TVs popped up, in. Yeah, I think I, just I, because he was in Happy Days in the first series for ten episodes, I, I, I,
0: I definitely saw a convention video of him years ago, and he's got like a thick English accent. I, I think yeah. I, he's probably well. I mean, he's clearly Irish by blood, but he's he he grew up in England, yeah.
1: But. But yeah, she kills him by throwing a snake into his car, then rescuing that snake after it's crashed, and then blowing it up anyway.
0: Yeah. And then I she guess just she wanted to, to hide the evidence he of how he'd been... Down ...to...
1: a thing, getting sharks with frigging radio-controlled things on their fin, which all I had in my head was Dr. Evil. It's Dr. Evil, I want sharks with frigging radio receivers on their fins. Uh, the,
0: the, that's like a distant relative to the original kind of robot sharks idea that Kevin McClory yeah. obviously had once I, I feel like that was kind of the last that, that feels remaining. like a compromise <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> like oh we have to have sharks doing something with technology in this film so maybe they're wearing radio receivers and James Bond has a as a homing beacon on them that the sharks the sharks are attracted to the homing beacon so that, that's my compromise like Whereas that, the John
1: Peter's giant spider let's call it a Thungarian snare beast
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, What I was going to say about the Jack Potacci stuff, the Gavin Hurley stuff, it's, you know, it, you know, and this went through a million script rewrites and all that kind of stuff. It's needlessly dark. Like the whole thing about Spectre controlling him by making him a heroin addict. And then, you know, they're, they're controlling him with heroin, but then they're also threatening to kill his sister. And there's all this stuff. And you're kind of going, this is this was done better in the Thunderball movie where John, I was going to say
1: the plan is is the eyeball pl- president's eyeball plan better really better than the plot of thunderball no,
0: thunderball because no.
1: it feels really overcomplicated
0: it's it's, it's overridden and they were trying to make it into a bigger kind of more flemingy thing and it just ends up and but then you're like this is a movie where james bond throws a beaker at a guy and it's got his piss in it and then he's like it's it's just there's a real tonal imbalance in that it's like i don't need to be hearing about someone being a slave to this evil organization because he's addicted to heroin. Like, that's too dark for this movie. You know, like, and, and like in the same scene, we see Sean Connery open the suitcase with like foie gras and quail's <laughs> eggs and like absolute vodka because they couldn't use Smirnoff because Smirnoff presumably had a deal with Eon. Like,
1: so to be strange. Fair, who knew foie gras had such a sexy side effect?
0: Yeah, side note, by the way, Roger Moore has this whole thing about foie gras, and like he used to campaign against it because it's so cruel. like the 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 way in which foie gras is made, it's something like you have to overfeed pheasants or something and then wait for their livers to explode or something. like yeah. I, I can't remember what it was. it's it's the nature in which foie gras is made is really, really cruel. And Roger Moore was like an activist against the production of foie gras. So it's it's really ironic. To, it, this would be in this movie that's competing against a Roger Moore James Bond movie.
1: I, I will say that seduction is better than the forcing itself upon her in the in Thunderball.
0: Yeah, but then there's other weird, creepy Thunderball-esque maneuvers in this that yeah. that are kind of I don't want to say equally as bad, but definitely not better. Like, well,
1: yeah, like I say, the whole feeling Domino up, pretending to be a masseuse.
0: Oh, God. And it's like he's, it's like he's kneading dough or something like that. He's clearly not giving her a pleasant massage. He's kind of just like, like running his wrinkly, leathery old hands along her back.
1: Yeah, it looks like the driest massage I've ever seen.
0: And she's like, oh, that feels so good. And I was like, no, was like, it like, doesn't. Does
1: it? Does it? It's, it's yeah. Sure, yeah I mean, it does. I mean, Sean Connery was still a good looking man, but it's.
0: No, he looked like a leathery old shoe. Like he—he he, he like Sean year
1: old Clint Eastwood still making movies where women just instantly fall to their knees at the sight of him and how hunky he you, is. Do
0: you know what it is as well? If you look at a picture of what Sean Connery actually looked like in 1983 with his big, bald head and his glistening moustache. in the sun and that fucking moustache he had grey as the night sky like that is a sexy human being. This never say never again cyborg they've created where it's like he's wearing a piece that's the same color as his face. And he's got like, you know, he he he's orange like Donald Trump. And he's got he's clearly got eyeliner on and he's got mascara on and everything about him just looks a little bit too like they tried to make him look younger than he is. And it's just not quite right. Like I genuinely hand on my heart. If they if they decided they wanted to make a James Bond movie in 1983 where Sean Connery's bald and he's got a mustache, fine by me, baby. I'll I'll watch that. Like he'd still be James Bond, you know, and they, ten years later they made The Rock. And yeah. he was pretty much was James say, Bond well,
1: in that. Or well, you know, make him look like he does in The Rock, give him that sort of thing. It that's the thing. They sort of want to lean into it's an older bond, but they don't want to lean yes. too much into it being an older bond. If they'd waited a few years and seen how well the Star Trek crew were
0: getting on with
1: playing <laughs> their age pretty much
0: <laughs> but like it's 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 really interesting cuz like this film purports to be this story about an older bond and james bond is over the hill and how is he going to continue being a secret agent and they don't really do that they they sort of set that up at the start and then don't go anywhere with it and it's it's really really interesting cuz irvin kershner will tell you that oh well there was all these script rewrites and the, the, there was so much against us and we were in court every day and i'm kind of like yeah, but you know what, Irvin Kershner? A couple of years later, he made a movie called Robocop 2, which has a lot of the same problems that Never <laughs> Say Never Again has, which is where, you know, you front load the movie with all this character stuff, and then you forget about it really, really quickly. It's got a terrible score, and it's kind of just things happening for the whole movie. Yeah. that's like. and now I, I definitely, I absolutely prefer Never Say Never Again to Robocop 2, but I do think it's interesting that in both cases, Irvin Kershner directed the movie, I'm like, Blamed everybody else for what I went wrong. And like, he does take some of the blame, but I'm like, I do feel in both cases, I'm like, we needed someone who was not a journeyman director to make this. We needed, we needed a visionary. I know they approached Richard Donner for Never Say Never Again. Yeah. And he said no because, wisely, by the way, he said no because I guess he didn't want to go up against the real James Bond series or whatever it is, but like, definitely would have liked to have seen that.
1: Yeah like I say it just feels like missed opportunity I'm, if they sort of if it happened now they'd probably give it the logan treatment yeah
0: absolutely great they and should that's, absolutely that's the, make the Jake a movie, bond movie like I wanted
1: to see is a bond pulled out of retirement it's like there's that mark miller comics it king and country queen and country no it's something else i can't remember what it's called but he's been pitching that for a long time where he's wanted piers brosnan to play him in the film adaptation of it
0: that would be bad <laughs> Um, no, I, sorry, either I'm way, sorry. but
1: um, but yeah. So sort of like this grizzled old retired spy, because yeah. this feels like they wanted to go Fleming and they hit the John Gardner books by mistake.
0: The John Gardner <laughs> books—that's a great way of it, yeah. Um, I side note, I think they should make a James Bond movie where he's grizzled and old and retired, and he discovers that his lover betrayed him, and then later on in the movie he discovers that his lover had a, a, a daughter. That was sired by him. And then later on in the movie, they have to go up against Rami Malik. And then Rami Malik causes a bunch of problems. And then James Bond dies in the end, just like Logan. I think they should make a movie like that. What do you think? Nah, same shit. Okay.
1: For years, I always wanted them to I bring like no Dalton to back <laughs> for yeah. one last film. And even after No Time to Die, people were still being kind of like, they should do an old man thing with Timothy Dalton where he comes out of retirement. It's like, that's, yeah. ne- that's No Time to Die. But yeah.
0: They've done it. Yeah. They did
1: it with Daniel Craig. They've done
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They've done it. Yeah. So, but I, I, I genuinely, I would like Timothy Dalton back, and and do you know what? If they made a Pierce Brosnan movie and he came back, whatever, I would one hundred, I'd be there day number one. No, no questions yeah. asked. I would absolutely watch it. I don't well, think I've they got will a make lot
1: pilot. of fondness for the '90s Bond movies.
0: Yeah, me too. Yeah, they I've got a lot of favorite. fondness for like every James Bond movie. Well, yeah, so, I am. except this. You one. know, <laughs> I no man. I I have a lot of fondness for this movie. You know, I I know it's not good. I know, but I can't help but watch it. One one of of my final
1: notes for this film is this is the longest four hours of my
0: life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there it is. I've never
1: felt so seen as when Sean Connery says Uh, Never Say Never Again. again. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, no, never again. Never Say Never Again. I've got to admit, it's it's probably in my adult life the third time I've watched it. bought it on video and watched it. I bought it on DVD and watched it. I watched it on TV. No, so the fourth then. I watched the bonus features on the Blu-ray, but it did not make me want to watch the film again when I got the Blu-ray. Um, there's weird edits in this as well. The sexy yes. intercut with fish swimming is awful. Mm. I don't get what they were going for. You get a cheeky little bit of nipple shot when she takes a thing off, which, yay! But otherwise... Sorry, that was really blokey. <laughs> but yeah, then you've got this the only thing that works is when they slide and then it cuts slide, to them yeah. going into the water. That's, That's a nice transition.
0: There's another weird edit when they're uh, they're approaching the the African island or whatever, whether where Largo's going to trap them, and he's like uh, he, he's like pointing to the island. He says something and then he kisses Domino's hand, and instead of like cutting to Bond kind of looking at him and sort of like growling at him or whatever, it just immediately cut. It cuts from Largo picking up Domino's hand. Briefly kissing it and then it immediately hard cuts to them walking through the door. That's another strange edit. It's like.
1: Well this yeah, like just weird. It. Where does Connor's top keep going? Him and Domino jump off a horse. That horse blatantly died.
0: Oh, and then he's nowhere.
1: Into the water, his top's gone. He sneaks onto Largo's boat. He's got his swimming gear on. He stops at the bottom of the ladder, then it cuts to the top and the hatch opening and his shirt's sure gone
0: again. <laughs> oh my goodness. I never noticed that. That's so funny. Now, I can I only know... think
1: that Connery was like, I've put all this work in to like, you know, lose those middle aged pounds. I'm looking the best I've looked in years. We're going to take advantage
0: of this. And by the my way, lips are coming out. <laughs> I'm glad they did, but I, th- I think he could have maybe taken another month or two with David Prowse and Christopher Reeve to just do a bit more of a job there to be honest. No, don't mean to throw shade at anyone. I uh, you know, I, I could do it a bit of it myself, but like not say, quite he looks Sean better Connery. at 50
1: odd than I did it now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but like just not quite Sean Connery. Like we're we're nearly there, but we're not there yet. It's that, that's the nicest way I'd say it. Now contrast that with his with his, you know, the 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 uh the the incumbent bond um Roger Moore, whose who's leathery man-breasts we hadn't seen since, I want to say, Man with the Golden Gun, maybe?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, no. So, he's, uh, yeah, no, Man with the Golden Gun, yeah. When
0: so, you know, he's probably doing better there than him, but, like, you know, maybe just take the extra time in, in the gym. is. Yeah, I'm not going to say anymore.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine now? I ripped it have to be. God, yeah. It's...
0: like there is a scene where he's talking to Fatima Blush and you can see his peck dance a little bit and you're kind of like yeah like there's definitely stuff in there he just needs to show it to him. he just needs to get it going a bit more just spend a bit more time cuz Sean Connery was like Mr Universe at one stage he was like
1: yeah he wanted to you Barry Norman is in that thing it's like it couldn't have been a very impressive year <laughs> in that way that Barry Norman used to throw shade at people that's another bit though where she tries to kill him with an animal it doesn't I do love when she's dancing around and feeling good, and then she sees him in dun, uh, denim dungarees and is kind of like, "Shit, well, that's crapped on my mood."
0: I that's one of the biggest head scratchers in this film. Is like if you watch a Daniel Craig James Bond film, for example, every single outfit he wears in that is tailored to perfection and designed to flatter a man with you know, and you know, let's be honest with this. Daniel Craig is a man. Who, if he's not looking his best, he's not going to look great. But when he's looking his best, he looks like a million dollars. And every outfit he wears in those movies makes him look like a million dollars. And never say never again. Sean Connery is wearing denim dungarees. He's wearing sweats in a bunch of scenes. He's wearing like gray tracksuit bottoms and like gray turtlenecks. And he just looks like he was wearing the most comfortable clothes they could find because this was just, he was only doing it for the money and he just wanted to be comfortable the whole time. It was like, put this man in a nice suit. Like, it's very, very strange. We has a mysterious imagine.
1: costume change when he's taken away by Largo's men, when he gets captured, because he comes in in like, you know, the casual trousers and a jumper. Yeah. And when he's chained up, they've given him a jacket, which I, I respect a villain that's kind of like, it's going to get nippy up there, give him a coat. But the <laughs> denim dungarees are unforgivable.
0: I The Denim dungarees at least they look ridiculous and he's supposed to look ridiculous. I just feel like the sweatpants he wears earlier on in Shrublands and then the other kind of he, he wears like a, a gray turtleneck with white slacks in the health club that Domino's in. It's like, why are we doing this again? And then there's another scene where he's going jogging with Felix and he's wearing these tight shorts and like a white T-shirt. I'm like,
1: no, it's this the best. Is not... I'm, they obviously stripped down to their underwear. Yeah, to pretend, which then the idea of Bond wearing a vest is just ugh.
0: it's very like unflattering outfits. They put him in, in this. It's very odd. And it just it's it, it was avoidable. Like this is a low budget film, but that was an avoidable mistake.
1: Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> this this like I say, there's weird things. Connery's inconsistent clothes kind of thing. Why Domino's still got the pendant at the end when they need it? Surely, if it was a key thing, Lago would have taken it back off her.
0: Oh, I never even thought about that before. That's kind of fun. That's it's, a good point. It's it's weird. But... Let's talk about things we like because <laughs> there is a lot of stuff I like about this. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. <Yo>. I, I... <laughs> um, I I will say that uh, this is just James Bond nerd trivia. He does not have a Walter PPK in this. He has a Walter P five which, coincidentally, Roger Moore also used in Octopussy, which was the other James Bond movie that came out this year, and he only used it in Octopussy. So there was two movie, two James Bond movies in the same year, but they both used a gun that was not the Walter PPK, but it was the Walter P5. It's a cool, badass gun. It looks a little bit more kind of contemporary. It looks like something James Bond would have, and it doesn't look as kind of, muscular and ridiculous as the Walter P99 that Pierce Brosnan mm-hmm. would use in Tomorrow Eyes. Yeah, I don't like that one. I liked it as a kid, don't like it anymore. Yeah,
1: again, I liked it um, when at the time, but now I'm just like, it's such a clunky,
0: chunky thing. The, the Walter P5, I feel like it is like an acceptable update to the PPK and yeah. it, it's a cool gun. Other stuff I like, I really like that motorbike chase. I think it's a cool James Bond scene. That, that, I do, they, apart
1: from the gang that are uh, herding him into the back of the thing, look like they've just walked off like a queen or wild boys yeah duran duran video
0: it's it's a little bit michael jackson bad type type vibes some I, some I feel Homer like one Ross. of them has a chain
1: it feels a little bit like you know one of those 80s movies where they accidentally find themselves in a gay club yeah not casting
0: any distance
1: you know dispersions I mean, you- against gay clubs but that's very much the stereotype of what they were in the 80s and that's what those guys look like they have even got the hats on
0: Shout out to Canon Films uh, Death Wish 3, also starring Gavin O'Hurlihy that came out in 1983, the same year. There's a lot of that kind of stuff in that as well. What year like, was Superman 19... 3? Was that 83 as well? 1983 was Gavin O year, Stuart. Was like, he, was, he was in every film that year. Um but yeah, there's a lot of the kind of like leather bound chain chain wielding gang uh, violence in that as well. Um what else do I like, the like? Klaus Maria? Bentley. Bond has a Bentley fun little reference back to Ian Fleming, and you know that they have that joke that doesn't really work where he sort of says, Oh, I'm still in good shape. And then the yeah. very next scene they're they're you know digging into his back or whatever, and oh, you've slight lesions or whatever, and he goes, Oh, still in good shape. It's like I the the pacing of that joke didn't quite work. I, anyway, uh other stuff I liked, um, my, my Martini is still dry That's a, that's like an iconic James Bond line One of the, the very yeah. best of the whole of, of this or the original Of the actual series I would say um, And and I would say as well Thunderball Which is absolutely a better film uh, Is bogged down a little bit By all the underwater stuff This does not have as much of that
1: No this drags its feet in different places
0: Yes it does Yeah,
1: It's like the underwater stuff was boring Let's move the boring stuff to dry land it, yeah I mean I this is a film I like less and less each time i watch it which is possibly
0: why i i'm'm I'm the opposite'm I'm <laughs> i i hate the q scene oh i like the q scene that was I another thing I wrote q down scenes. that I like it I've really grown to love it
1: I just it feels so forced for the trailer and the promo stuff um i don't like that they called the ship the flying saucer going from disco volante to flying
0: saucer Ah, but uh, have you read the original novel? Yes. It's well, it's called The yeah. Flying Saucer in the novel.
1: I know, but I don't like it. <laughs>
0: oh, fair enough. <laughs> I do prefer The Disco Valenti; It's a cooler name, but yeah, it is called The fu- Flying Saucer in the novel. It's
1: kind of that thing. If you're going to call it The Flying Saucer, like translate it to Spanish or find another language in which it sounds exotic.
0: And on the same note, I prefer Domino Duval, which yeah. is her name in the film, whereas Domino Patachi is from the book again, but it's... Donor Duval is a better name.
1: Because they changed Largo's first name as well, don't they, to Maximilian. It's it,
0: it's, Emilio it's Emilio Largo. Emilio, yeah. I feel like it's Emilio Largo in the book as well. Maybe I'm wrong, it, but... I
1: think it might be. It's been oh. a while since I've read the book or listened to the audio
0: with Jason Isaacs. I do love the name Maximilian Largo, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. That's I, I, I would say that's an improvement.
1: Like I say, for me, the best thing in this film is those him and fatima together i just love that little it's a bit more playful
0: yeah i i would i would say maybe on a par with connery that those are the best things in the film yeah she she is great by the way i meant to say that earlier on barbara career is fantastic in this and she you know she yeah. would have been just as good in a real Jane fawn film
1: yeah those three make it for me
0: You're quite a man, Mr. James Bond. But I am a superior woman. Guess where you get the first one. Well, in view of your hatred of men. Liar! You know that making love to Fatima was the greatest pleasure of your life?
1: Well, to be perfectly honest... There was this girl in Philadelphia... Stop!
0: I am the best. Yes.
1: Yes, you're right. In fact, I was going to put you in my memoirs as number one. Right. Right.
0: Now write this. The greatest rapture in my life was afforded me to boat in Nassau by Fatima Blush. Sign, James Bond, 007.
1: I just remember, it's against service policy for agents to give out endorsements.
0: Right!
1: I love that the um, missiles have got danger stickers like all over them. It's like we get it; they're dangerous. I don't think you need to put a sticker everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is interesting that they changed from nuclear torpedoes, nuclear torpedoes to nuclear missiles, though, isn't yes. it? That's a that's an interesting change.
1: It's yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, some pretty shitty blue screen though when those missiles are flying
1: there's some pretty shitty blue screen a lot in this yeah the where they've edited out the horse landing on its back in the water
0: now hold on a second there now what version of the film because i see the horse falling back on its back in the water in my on the blu-ray it's not it cuts to
1: a wide shot and then they're in the water.
0: Well, I definitely saw, I I was watching Blu-ray today and it was imported from Germany, I think. And the, uh, the see, horse, mine's, 100%. Mine's the UK one, so. And Irvin Kirshner in the commentary says that they had to cut that out of the British release. That yeah. makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, because they killed a fucking horse.
0: <laughs> that's, that's so funny because when I, like, grown up, I remember the horse falling mm. on its back. So obviously we didn't get the British version. We got whatever other version here.
1: See, I know I've seen that, so I don't know whether I've seen it as part of something else, or whether I did see it in a version of the film at one point, but but yeah, it's not in the UK
0: cut. With good reason, by the way. There's yeah. there's there's a lot of animal cruelty in this film. The, the bit with the sharks earlier on, I'm like, are they real sharks? Like, that Sean Connery is, like, closing a door on their fin and, like,
1: I couldn't work it out, because they look real, but they also look fake. But I'm pretty sure they are real, because I'm sure that's one of the things that somebody had a problem with, because they put the things on their fin, and you shouldn't put things on sharks' fins and piss them off. Um, But yeah, I mean, you've got the cruelty to animals side of it. It's, like I say, Roman Atkinson doesn't belong here. You could have easily lost him from the film, and it would not have made a difference. Um,
0: I I feel like I thought that even as a child. I was like, this... (laughs) <laughs> Feels like it's a different film now. Even as a child, he's sitting there going, "Who is this for?" <laughs> like Mr. Bean in James Bond is not what I expected. That set,
1: the layer set, you know, the temple thing looks cheap as anything. It reminds me of, like the Librarians series that used to be on series of movies with Noah while It used to be on the Sci Fi Channel.
0: I remember them. It's, um, it's
1: that sort of thing. But then this whole film has a TV movie feel to it.
0: It's so interesting you say that about the, the 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 Temple set, because in the commentary, Irvin Kirshner spends about five minutes just talking about how terrible it looks because it wasn't lit properly and he didn't have the time to really spend time in to make it look great. And it just looks like a, a cheap movie set. And he's he said that's probably the portion of the film that he's least proud of. And he feels like it doesn't look like the rest of the film. And it, it upsets him just watching it, is what he says. So it's, it's interesting that you 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 uh, pointed that out.
1: It upsets me watching it.
0: Um, I do
1: like when Largo's walking away, walked past Domino tied up, and then he looks back at the window and Connery ducks back. I like the little smile on his face, and I don't know whether he's worked out that Connery's escaped, or whether he's smiling at the idea that Connery couldn't help but look. Yeah. There's just a nice little smile about it. He's kind of like, I'm not done with this challenge yet. The game's still on, kind of.
0: Actually, there, there, there's a scene, I think it's the scene prior to that where he's talking to Domino and he takes down this like jade statue and he talks about how valuable it is. Oh, and yeah. He just smashes it. And then he like violently kisses her and he pulls away and there's just like this trickle of like saliva. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so gross. And you're like, did they intend for that? Or mm, maybe not. But but then then she's like, you're crazy. And it, it suddenly having Batman 89 flashbacks. She's like, oh, you, you know, you're insane or whatever. And he's, just, he, he just looks at her and goes, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. And you're just like, this guy's great. I love him.
1: He is. He's an amazing. He's so character. good. He's, he's the best thing in this film. <laughs> There's lots of shots toward the end as well of Bond flying around in the air on various contraptions and local indigenous people, whatever, just looking up at him like, What is
0: this? The the are you you talking about the jet cylinder?
1: The jet cylinder, and then later when he's hanging from the bottom of the helicopter, which there's got to be a scene missing from that because he tells Felix he needs to call in the helicopter, and then it cuts to it. Yeah, when before he gets dropped down the well, which what would he have done if that well was like you know didn't
0: connect? The jet cylinder. People looking up, going, "What is this?" just reminds me. I I did this thing called flyboarding in Marbella, where Sean Connery once lived for many years, and um, it's basically like, if you remember the the, the way it was advertised to me was literally a, a pamphlet that said "fly like James Bond." <laughs> I swear to God, and it was like the jetpack in Thunderball, and I was like, that looks amazing, right? So it's basically you're wearing a jetpack and it's connected to a jet ski. And it's shooting water out of the bottom of the jetpack, and you fly up in the air, right? Cool. So when I got there, they were like, "Oh, well, we don't have the the jetpack version. We have this other version that's even better." And it was it was more of it was like a snowboard type thing. So you had to stand on it, and and it's connected to a jet ski. Don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. And uh, the, the problem was it was way harder to use than the jetpack looked to be because you, you you have to balance your feet and you have to keep your your your, your legs steady the whole time. So I was just falling over the whole time. But I did manage to fly up in the air a couple of times. And apparently, allegedly, according to my fiance, there were uh, English people on the coast go- looking at that going, oh, what's all this then? <laughs> Never seen that before. At least that's English people, though.
1: Yeah. This is very much foreign people just being like, oh. Oh. Bit like. Star Trek Into Darkness, they're going to start worshipping or well, like the Ewoks, yeah. they're going to start fucking <laughs> worshipping him <laughs> so fucking um, yeah, apparently Vincent Marzello's in this film, but I couldn't spot him I think he's when Blofeld delivers his ransom message okay. he's in that scene, but I couldn't spot him Um. but yeah, I mean we sort of largely covered I think we we're in different places on the film
0: uh, I, I feel like I, I feel like we're 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 largely in the same place with the film. I think what's happened, though, is I'm just so fascinated by the existence of the film that I have sort of come to love it for what it is, even though I know it's bad. And I, everything you've said about it that you don't like, I, I mostly agree with you. It's just that I, I, I think it's just this weird Stockholm syndrome, like, like Domino and, and Max Largo. I'm just kind of like. I can't help but watch this film a couple of times a year. It's probably the John Connery film. I watch the Sean Connery, James Bond film. I watch more than any other James, Sean Connery, James Bond film because it's just like the rest of them are all kind of like. Appointment films like I need to make an appointment to sit down and watch Goldfinger and like, OK, yeah, we're sitting down to watch one of the best James Bond movies ever made. We're going to sit down and watch it or or a commercial Lover, Dr. No, whatever it is with this. I'm kind of like, ah, it's 10 o'clock at night. I don't want to go to bed yet. You know, I want to watch something that's an hour and and fifty minutes long. Never say never again. Christ, you know? is it
1: only an hour and fifty minutes long?
0: It's probably longer. Jesus. It it never feels that long, but but then you you get to scenes like the shrubland scene. You're like, oh, maybe this film's longer than I thought it was. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean that's fair enough. We we live in a sick world, but uh... yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I like I've said before on. Other things, I'm glad this film exists. If nothing else, it's an interesting thing of how easy it is to do Bond wrong. Mm. Stop Um... getting Bonds wrong.
0: (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist.
1: It is just such a generic movie. It's not an event movie. Good or bad, Bond movies always felt like feel like an event when they're coming out. Um, but yeah, I mean, so sort of before we move on to the other stuff. For you, who won the battle of the bonds, like of the two films, taking aside the finances and you know who actually won financially as films, because Octopussy is not a great film. I love Octopussy, but it's not a great film.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because like every time I watch Octopussy, i I find that it's better than I remember it. Yeah, to be. But like it has a lot of the same problems that this has. It's yeah. very sleazy. It's very it's there's a lot of problematic stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say
1: there's a Roger lot of Moore casual is, racism
0: in it. Casual racism. Roger Moore's way too old. You know, the, the main thing Octopussy has over this is way like action scenes and action sequences that are just a million times better. Like the the the, the scene where he's holding on to the plane at the end of Octopussy is badass, absolutely incredible. The tuk tuk chase is great. The train chase is great. Um, you know, that R- Roger Moore in the plane backgammon, That that's a really cool, iconic James Bond scene. Uh, a lot of stuff like that. But then there's a lot of shit in Octopussy that I don't like. The Tarzan yell, the <laughs> racism, well, that'll keep you in curry. Like, I, it makes me sick even saying that line. Like, loads of stuff like that that I don't like in Octopussy
1: got hate that line. I hate the bit where he's zooming the camera and on the woman's chest, on
0: the woman's boobs. Like, Q is great in Octopussy later, perhaps. Uh, oh, it's definitely a, lot... a Q
1: movie.
0: There's a lot I like about Octopussy, but ultimately, it gone to my head. You only get to have Octopussy or Never Say Never Again for the yeah. rest of your life. I'm picking Never Say Never Again. <laughs> like, fair enough. Though for me, Never Say Never Again won the Battle of the Bonds. I'm sorry to say. Oh, I, I, no. and by the way, I I love A View to a Kill quite a bit more than Never Say Never Again or Octopussy, so that's the second most controversial thing I'll say.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's fine. I mean, sort of. Then the other comparison is Never Say Never Again or Thunderball.
0: Uh, For no, you. that the, no, no, sorry, no, that that's a much easier. Obviously, Thunderball is better, like hundred percent. Now, now, Thunderball is slower. And it's 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 a film I probably don't watch as often because it is a slower film. But when you make the appointment to watch Thunderball, you watch it in glorious 1080p or 4K and you really sit down, you give it the time and the attention it deserves. It's a badass film. And I think I think we said this in the Bond ranking episode. I think Spectre as a concept is done better in in the Thunderball film than any other James Bond film ever made. And it's so good in that one. And Sean Connery is just the bee's knees in that one. Uh, Fiona Volpe, arguably the sexiest femme fatale in the James Bond series. Domino is great. Uh, the, the guy playing Largo is fine. Like, he's absolutely he, he fine. He does what he
1: needs to do. It's Blofeld
0: is incredible in Thunderball. Like, he only has that one scene, and it's just terrifying and nightmarish, and it's so good. Uh, yeah, No, yeah, Thunderball's clearly better.
1: <laughs> no, that's... I mean, like I say, those are the two comparisons. And then sort of... Because we always sort of leave it with sequels would you have liked to have seen more McClory Bonds because obviously there was the Brosnan one that was sort of happening in the late 80s and then there was the rumoured Dalton one in the mid 90s Mm. which would have been Warhammer something or Warhead something so
0: Um, I, I would say yes but only with the understanding that it doesn't negatively impact the main line series of Bond films does that make sense yeah so if the mainline series continues as we have enjoyed it, then absolutely, yes, 100%. Let Kevin McClory make whatever nonsense he wants to make, because I would absolutely love to have seen that. Like, what, what was he? There Was Warhead 1999 or something like that he was trying yeah, to make? Yeah, I think
1: him... that was the 90s one. that he. The rumour had it that he wanted Timothy Dalton for it.
0: And, and Sean Connery was going to be the villain or something like that? And, like, I, I would absolutely watch that, 100%.
1: I would, just to get more Dalton as Bond, to be honest, but... I...
0: I don't believe that Timothy Dalton would. I don't. I, for I,
1: one, as much as I love Timothy Dalton in the mid nineties, nobody loved Timothy Dalton as James yeah. Bond. There was like a small little pack of us. It's like only the, was... is that more people have come into the
0: club. The thing about never say never again was like, Oh, it's Connery's return to the role. Like that yeah. that's appointment viewing that, that would not have been appointment viewing for mainstream audiences in the nineties. Timothy Dalton's back. It would have been James Bond fans, maybe, but like not mainstream viewers. And Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like if Sean Connery himself had come back again in the 90s, that would have been a point of view. Yeah, like old man Sean Connery, like, you know, entrapment era. I would have absolutely grey-haired, grey-haired, grey-beard Sean Connery in a James Bond movie. I would have signed signed me up. I'll buy that for a dollar. Because if you, like, obviously everyone says The Rock. Yeah, obviously he's playing James Bond in that. There's a scene towards the end where he has kind of a a tete-a-tete with... with ed harris or whatever and he's pretty much just playing james bond in that scene i always think but then you look at like entrapment as well he's pretty much playing james bond in that as well like there's a couple of sean connery films from the mid 90s where you're like god bring this guy back one more time he could absolutely do it you know yeah i've Um, only seen
1: entrapment once in the cinema in 1999
0: it's bad it's it's bad but it's great you know it's it's a great bad film and he convincingly seduces Catherine's Dita jones in her prime in that film, and this is like eighty-year-old Sean Connery, and you're just like, "Yep," because it's Sean Connery. He's think... older. He's older in that film than Roger Moore is in *A View to a Kill*. Yeah, and somehow he's more believable as an action, an, an action heartthrob star.
1: Yeah, Sean Connery's one of those actors, he didn't really start to look really old until he disappeared from the limelight for yeah, like five to ten years, which he's getting kind because of, you know he wasn't an old man by that point. But do you think Connery would have done another one? Had Never Say Never Again been like a box office smash and there was the
0: demand for it? Well, given that he allegedly made $28 million, I think if there was the promise of that again, no matter how poor the film, he probably would have said yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because he did make some shit as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, I there's an interview clip with Brosnan where he's talking about doing the one with Kevin McClory after that. being losing out on the James Bond role in the Eon series. Which obviously didn't work out and he went off and made Taffin instead. But...
0: I, lo- I love his reasoning for why he didn't make it as well. He was like, oh yeah, we were, we were going to, in the Timothy Dalton days, we, uh, Kevin McClory had the rights and we were going to give them a run for their money. But then we decided, uh, too much paperwork. <laughs> too much paperwork. Like that's, you know, what a shorthand reason. But again,
1: I th- he could only remake Thunderball again. He couldn't stray yeah. too far from that text.
0: No, absolutely not. But you know what do you know what I'll say though? I know I said that people probably wouldn't turn it for a Timothy Dalton return in the mid nineties. I kind of feel like they might have turned up for a Pierce Brosnan and James Bond movie in the early nineties.
1: Oh, I think they would have, yeah, because I think a lot of people were disappointed that he didn't yeah. get the role for Living Daylights.
0: Um, and I think a lot of American people love Pierce Brosnan, and that would have, you know, that an American box office audience might have turned up for that, I think. I might be terribly wrong. And Pierce Brosnan, talking about people being in crap, you want to watch pretty much every movie Pierce Brosnan made, other than the Bob Hoskins one. Everything he made between Remington Steele* and GoldenEye is dreadful. <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs>
1: No love for Livewire.
0: <laughs> is Livewire oh, the one where he's like ch- he's ch- chasing a clown and the clown's got a, like a bomb strapped to yeah, his chest? Yeah, he's the like bomb that.
1: disposal expert.
0: Yeah. And um, what's the one he's in with Patrick Stewart? Or oh, is that
1: Death Train or something like that?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of really bad movies Pierce Brosnan's in. Like really bad, great movies but bad movies. And then That's Taffin like Never
1: trust a stranger or something like that where he's a bad guy. Um,
0: I've never seen it again.
1: I think at one point McClory was trying to team up with Sony to do Casino Royale. I think that was his plan for building his little cinematic universe, was to use those two stories. Which, I suppose, they got quite a bit of leeway with what they managed to do with Casino Royale with the spoof.
0: Yeah, I... I, That, that sounds familiar, alright. And I think then that was... Sony eventually teamed up with MGM, and that's how they make Casino Royale, or how did that all work?
1: It was something to do with that case that the settlement was that they got back the rights to both that and the Spider-Man sole rights for um, Thunderbolt. Yeah, I think it might have been an exchange for Spider-Man.
0: Spider-Man was in the mix there somewhere, I remember. Yeah, yeah,
1: it was that was why there was the delay part of the delay after dying of the day, I think, was to do with them getting those rights back. It's all so, weird.
0: Side, side note about Kevin McClory, by the way. Kevin McClory, by the way, was an Irish man. He's from Ireland. And he was born in Dunleary, which is where I work uh, five days a week in the production office that I, the production company that I work for. Uh, he was born near there. And if you go to Dunleary Dart Station, there is a plaque, of, or not a, not a plaque, like kind of an infographic poster there of famous people who were born in Dunleary. And Kevin McClory is one of them. And they have this kind of painting of Kevin McClory. And right next to it, they have a, an artist's rendition of the James Bond gun barrel. And they're like, oh, well, you know, Kevin McClory, he came up with the, you know, the, the cinematic James Bond, which I always thought was a real embellishment. If you read the books, you can absolutely see the correlation between the books and the films. But th- there's this whole narrative that Kevin McClory came up with the idea that, oh, well, James Bond needs to be cool and charismatic in a way that he isn't in the books. And it's it, that it was his idea that ultimately ended up being the cinematic James Bond that we all love. Uh, so they have this on this infographic in Dunley, But what I find really fascinating and really ironic is that Never Say Never Again was not allowed to use the gun barrel image yeah. because they didn't have the rights to it. And yet this this infographic in Dunleary has the gun barrel right there. And the only time in Never Say Never Again that you see the gun barrel is in the infamous arcade game showdown between Bond and Largo. They kind of sneak it in there. Yeah. When they're playing that game, Domination, and they're shooting kind of lasers in this video game thing. And then they're, the special attack Is that you can shoot a nuclear missile at your enemy, and then they can put up this sort of shield thing, yeah. And the shield looks like the James Bond gun barrel, so they kind of snuck it in there, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah,
1: because it was Morris Binder came up with that, wasn't it for Eon? So yeah, they own Uh, all that stuff. But
0: uh, side note: watching the movie today, I was like, do you know what this? The 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 domination scene, like, of course it's bad. Of course it's overindulgent. Of course it's strange. But do you know what? They did kind of predict esports, yeah. you know? And it's like when you when you really pay attention to the game as it's presented in the film, it does make sense. It's like they, they have to shoot lasers at the empty spaces and claim them. And then they also need to make sure they don't get hit by the enemy's uh, missiles that are being fired at them. And they have to put up a shit. Like, it all makes sense. You have a special attack and you have your standard attacks. And then meanwhile, if if you're getting hit, you're getting pain in real life because the the controller is shocking you like they they thought that out well i think and it is silly and strange to see james bond playing video games but like it kind of you know the, 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 there's a lot of futurism in james bond films they, they predict things before they happen and stuff like that and i i think it's fair to say that the video game scene and never say never again did predict kind of the way we are now with video games where, where it is sort of seen as something that that Pretty much everybody does. Like everybody, kind of plays Fortnite or whatever it is, or Call of Duty or these things. And there's these huge esports things where people crowd up and and watch people play against each other and all that sort of stuff. So it sort of feels less ridiculous with the passage of time to look back at something like that. But what's more, what 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 is ridiculous, I think, is that scene where they're walking around this, you know well-to-do casino and there's just all these like Galaga machines and all these, you know, Gravatar arcade cabinets. And all that. And like say, that, like... that smacks <laughs> <80s>. <laughs> You know,
1: um, I do wonder, I can't remember as a kid how impressive I thought that scene was with the World mm. Domination game. Mm. So I can't speak to that. Obviously I would have seen it in the 80s, but even then I'm not 100% sure. So I can't imagine how impressive it possibly looked because it's difficult coming to it in 2023. Yeah. And having your mind blown by it. But in 1983,
0: maybe? Yeah, exactly. You know, who knows?
1: A bit like Tron, even though that didn't make a lot of money, but everybody's kind of like, it looks amazing. Yeah. Boring as shit, but it looks amazing. Yeah. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, we didn't even mention Money Penny, but then as they barely make her memorable.
0: Moneypenny like, is a strange one because she's not really in the book series. So no. every time I watch this, I'm like, I try to remember was Money Penny in the Thunderball book? I guess, I mean I guess she must have been if they were allowed to use her. I guess but like so. she yeah, she Monty she was Pen- very much an extrapolation of the films. The films made her iconic. Yeah. Like in the books, Bond has his own secretary called Luelia Ponsonby. Yeah. And she is kind of the, Mon- the Money Penny equivalent in the books. Uh, so yeah, yeah, no, yeah, Money Penny is kind of a non entity in this. What's it. Same with Q, he's
1: not a huge thing in the books either, is he? It's
0: Q is not a thing at all in the books. Q yeah. is there's Q Branch in the books, and they're just the armors or the, the people. I guess why you... he calls
1: him algae in this rather than Q. He's I do never... like, I will say one positive thing to end on I do like in that Q scene where he gives Bond his new watch, takes his old watch, looks at it, and then just tosses it on the floor. In a I love the Q... polar opposite Desmond Llewellyn
0: I love the Q scene in this because it's like world build. They they went in a completely different direction with it. They made they made him kind of James Bond's mate, and you know he, he's complaining about cutbacks and it. You know it reflects the era they're in, real Thatcher government stuff. They're cutting back on all these essential public services, and he's like, oh well, if the CIA made me an offer, I'd be off like a shot. And, you know, there's just a real sense of world building in that scene. I really, really like it, actually. And the only thing I don't like about it is when he gives him the watch and he's like, it looks like a watch, but it's really a laser. Whereas, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing, the crucial, cool thing about James Bond gadgets is they do both things. It's it's a Rolex and it's a working Rolex that's just as cool and badass as a real Rolex. But it's also a laser. Yeah. It's not just like a fake Rolex that doesn't tell the time. That is also a laser, you know? So that that annoyed me even as a kid. I was like, no, it's a watch as well. It,
1: Yeah, you know? it's... That scene just feels clunky for me. It's There's something ah. about the writing. It just... It, it feels like it, again, walked in off a TV thing. But this very much feels like they wanted to make a James Bond TV series, condensed it down to yeah. two hours and Just didn't bother up in the production budget.
0: Uh, They had to pay Sean Connery,
1: but uh, awesome. I think we pretty much covered that. Unless there's anything else you want
0: to add to it, never. Those days are behind me. (laughs) Awesome. Never say never again.
1: They're behind me. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Every every time every so, I've mentioned this in our previous episode that every time we. Uh, say the word never now in my group of friends, someone has to, someone has to respond never say never again. Because when we watched all the James Bond movies during COVID, we specifically made a point to watch Never Say Never Again. And I feel like that was one of the most iconic viewings of the whole thing because we were just laughing at how strange it is that this exists and that it's called that and the reason that it's called that. And I remember telling my fiance, oh yeah, well, you know, the, the reason it's called Never Say Never Again is that Sean Connery said he'd never play James Bond again and his wife, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, wait, what? That's why they called it? that? That's that's why the name of the movie is Never Seen Ever Again? It's got nothing to do do with the film at all. Nothing to do with the film at all. You know, it's just pure old school Hollywood ego trips gone crazy, you know? Kobe Broccoli in court every day insisting that people use dialogue from the original novel. Jack Whittingham and fucking Jason or Jack Schwartzman just being like, oh, well, you know, the I can make this movie. And Sean Connery, like, oh, I just want to spike Kobe Broccoli. Amazing. You'd never get it today. The The modern day equivalent of this is, I guess, Morbius, maybe? Yeah. It's just like, we have these rights and we might as well use them. So here's a movie and it's terrible. <laughs> but the difference is Morbius didn't make any money. This made some money. You
1: were a very good secret agent. Really? Bye. Awesome. All right. So, sort of away from Bond. What else is you got coming up? Obviously, All Star Superfan is still going strong.
0: All-Star Superfan, I forgot to mention this at the top of the episode. You are wearing a Superman t-shirt and you have a lovely Superman S curl that I'm very envious of because or well you did earlier on. I did earlier because on because yeah. floppy, You 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 have a lovely mane of hair that I, I I can only dream about. Much like Sean Connery himself. You know, he has to wear one of those ridiculous rugs. Um coming up on All-Star Superfan, we have our annual Christmas episode. We are about to record that. And then in the new year, uh, you and myself are going to, uh, with Alan, are going to record an episode on the Robocop franchise, which I'm really, that. really looking forward to. It'll be a nice companion piece to this episode because Robocop Two obviously was directed by Irvin Kershner, and I alluded to it earlier on that I think it has a lot of the same problems. And yeah, we we, we for once we don't have any episodes in the can, uh, so it's we're, we're 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 kind of looking into great unknown right now, but we'll, we'll definitely. Uh, We'll definitely have new exciting episodes, uh, exciting guest uh, interviews, and uh, hopefully some deep dives and other cool stuff uh, throughout 2024. So looking forward to that. So check us yeah. out. All-Star fan. You've had some uh, great episodes. Actually, the
1: Gerard Christopher one was really cool.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, he's, he's a really kooky guy, but he's great stories, great reverence for the series and lots of great memories. And, and his room, his, kind of man cave in his house is full of props and he was showing us and i, I I'll, I'll tell this story forever that i i was kind of like by any chance do you have the kryptonian crystal from the final episode of superboy and he just swings his phone around and he goes oh you mean this and he just pulls out the purple crystal from the final episode of. Super- i was like yes that's the exact thing i was talking about i thought that was amazing awesome.
1: but awesome cheers for doing this and yeah like i say it's a uh, it was interesting to go back to it again it's one of those films that exists in the back of my head normally. So <laughs> <laughs> nice every 10-15 years to dust it off and
0: it's a it's a strange mess of a thing, but I'm just so glad that it exists. And it's one of my favorite if if ever someone writes a book about copyright law, there should be a chapter number two should be called Never Say Never Again, <laughs> and just an entire <laughs> chapter of that. Because I just think it's fascinating. The circumstances by which this exists and that it managed to be even passably entertaining is a miracle you yeah. know so I, I highly I, recommend I think people that's... check
1: out that battle of the bonds book as well if I, it's still available i'll put a link in the notes it's for... not it's
0: it, you can get scans of it on archive.org but that's about it. It, it you can buy it on like amazon and ebay but you're gonna pay like upwards of 70 or 80 quid for it so but it is well worth it. It's well worth the read. It's a fascinating book.
1: Glad I got mine for like three quid in HMV years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. All right. Cheers for this, man. And um, yeah, I will speak to you soon in the new year and that. But yeah, cheers for doing this.
0: Never say never again.
1: Again. Never. I needed my uh weird tiger bikini on really, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Bond. Obviously, he caught you at a bad moment. M sent you. Only to plead for your return, sir. M says that without you in the service, he fears for the security of the civilized world. Never again. Never?
0: Never. Never say oh. never again. Never, never say never again. <laughs>
1: was Never Say Never Again, and why not? I'd like to thank Rob for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Check out the show notes for the links you need to check out the All-Star Superfan podcast. At the time of recording Never Say Never Again is only available in the UK on DVD and Blu-ray via the second-hand market. We put a shout-out on the socials for your thoughts on the film, and we had some replies. Tony Cross on Blue Sky said, I rewatched this over the weekend. Klaus-Maria Brandau and Barbara Carrera are great, as is Bernie Casey, but Edward Fox is awful as is Rowan Atkinson. Connery's not bad. I'd swap Brandauer for Adolfo Celli. It's not awful, but it isn't that good. John Ottaway on Instagram said, My very first thoughts were prior to it coming out, when I said to my English friends, Now you'll see proper Bond, due to it being in almost direct competition with Roger Moore's outing in Octopussy. I was even more confident after seeing Octopussy, which seemed to emphasise everything I disliked about the carry-on Bond years. Then I watched Never Say Never Again. During it, I just kept thinking, Isn't this Thunderball?'" Years later, I learned the whole Kevin McClory palaver. The production value seemed like a TV movie, and it was far sillier than Connors previous outings, making my proper Bond claim a bit more difficult to back up. And finally, Mr. Forp on Instagram said, God damn, he was a sexy bitch. Thank you for the comments for this episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode on our social media channels. You can give us a follow on Threads, Blue Sky and Instagram, or why not join the Am why Not group over on Facebook. Not only we kept up to date with what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also host our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media, or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. I might not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast, or if you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd we'll be grateful for a rating or review if you have a second or two to spare, or if you don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us, thank you. If you've missed any online episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, we'll be back next week, on Tuesday, when the festive season kicks off properly, with John Tucker and Tom Stewart joining us for this year's Christmas special, in which we take a look at three Home Alone movies. The three movies being One, Two, and Home Sweet Home Alone. But until then, this has been a Nerds and Haunted themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember... Never again. Never? Never
0: again. Bye for now.